Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everybody. What's up? You know, hanging in there. We're a little snappy on the intro this time. Just, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we suddenly derail. Yes, immediately. We are continuing our chronicle on movies about making movies. Started strong last time with a little Shion Sono for the year. Yes. Following it up with some Brian De Palma. Finally. Covering his film Blowout from 1981, which was a first-time watch. It was one of those ones I was holding in the pocket to say I still had another Brian De Palma film to watch. Mm-hmm. So cool to scratch that off. I'm anxious to see what you thought, my friend. We'll get into all of that in the wonderful world of uh, audio engineering. Mm-hmm. But first, we're going to do all our usual stuff. We're going to talk about what we've been watching. I think we have some big movie-type things to talk about that have come out recently. Yes. And um, i got a shout-out. Shout it out loud. Um, you may not be aware of this because it, it almost slipped my radar because I haven't been able to keep tabs on the socials as much. But mm-hmm. um, you, my friend, had another one of your guest spots on the Jacked Up Review show. Oh, my gosh. Dropped out there. Oh, awesome. It's, uh, one of the shows that we love to go and guest on whenever we have a chance to. Yes. Unfortunately, uh, this year we haven't been able to do it quite as much as no. we wanted. 2023 has kind of kicked our ass. This year has sucked. <laughs> yeah, all across the year. But... Um, yeah, it was the one where you guys were talking about David Cronenberg and his films. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So I'll throw the link to that in the show notes. Be sure to go check that out. Show lots of love to Cam. He's awesome. Yeah. Uh, his show's great. They cover like just literally everything, basically. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. a fun That was a fun show, too. That was a good talk. It was such a, such a wide range of stuff. So uh, go check that out. Go show him some love. But otherwise, I want to get right into the meat of this. Let's do it. What have you been watching? I have a couple of movies to talk about. Oh, damn. Because okay. it's been a little while since we recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to go see Eli Roth's new film, Thanksgiving. Ah, the realization of the Grindhouse trailer, correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, there's good and there's bad. Mm-hmm. The bad is that it's not the trailer. You know, <laughs> it, it's not that movie. Right. Well, you could tell that from the trailer. It was right. Not be. Yeah. Which is fine yeah. because I I am a little tired of the whole retro mm-hmm. '80s thing to make it look like it's a lost movie or some shit like that. It's a little done. Sure. Um, but my God, that movie looked fun in that trailer, you know, <laughs> and, and John Carver, that's such a good, like slasher villain. It is. It is. It, he has a cool look, the pilgrim's mm-hmm. hat and everything. It's like a serial killer, Solomon Kane or something. Um, <laughs> and it's a fun movie. The one we got, it's, it's very traditional. It's very typical. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very much a slasher film with all the good and all the bad. Um, it has a good kills. Um, has some funny parts, Eli Roth. There's always some fun little side characters and bits, but also like a lot of Eli Roth's movies, his leads kind of leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, they are very much the interchangeable generic teenagers. Mm-hmm. Well, twenty somethings playing teenagers, and I mean they all do fine. Everyone acquits themselves just fine, but it's just uh, there's not really any characters you can root for mm. or you like. So pretty pretty standard slasher yeah. fair type stuff. Right. Okay. Uh, but it is fun. It is worth watching. It's definitely one of the better slashers I've seen in a while. You know, it's no terrifier, but mm-hmm. you know, it's fun. Cool. You could do a lot worse. <laughs> I'll probably circle back for it then. Yeah. I got a comment and a question. So comment. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to say about Eli Roth. He's made some stinkers. He He's made some great films. He has. But I feel like across the board, they're always at least like watchable. Yeah. They're, they're always interesting. Yeah. Yeah, even the ones that aren't so successful. Mm-hmm. There's something about them. You know, so, sometimes you get your your Green Infernos, but then other times you get your Knock Knocks. So Yeah, you know what? I have not seen Knock Knock. Listen, man, it's free pizza. <laughs> <laughs> if it showed up at your door and it was free pizza, uh-huh. wouldn't you take it? Uh, absolutely, I would. 
<laughs> Go watch Knock Knock and let's talk about that again. I need to watch it. I do. And it's like streaming free, I think. It's it's on one of my cues in Tubi or Plex or something. I just... It's funny because it's like a remake of a ridiculous 70s film, but it manages to be like mm-hmm. just as ridiculous, but in a different way. Nice. My question is, mm. so I noticed in the trailer, they seem to kind of like redo some of the bits from the original Grindhouse trailer. Yes. yes. And this is a spoiler, so skip ahead if you care about this at all. I, I don't. I just want to know. Does he like bake the mom like in the original Grindhouse trailer? Um, okay, for those of you who don't want to know out there and haven't seen the movie, go ahead and skip ahead in a minute or so. Uh, yes. Oh. Surprisingly. Okay, my hat's off to him then. Yeah, that, that was one That was one of the cool things they keep. I it, was worried they would punk out of that. Yeah. yeah. And they had a they have a play on the trampoline scene. It's not quite as fun <laughs> as it was in the trailer. Because apparently these days we can't have nudity in movies. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know who decreed this. Hollywood, I don't know I what guess. the big deal is. I think a lot of audiences don't like nudity anymore. You know what I heard one per, one... Like film theory was okay, um, is that we don't have the consent of the characters to watch them having sex. Okay, they're they're characters. I, I Isn't that, that the most yeah. fucking ridiculous yeah. thing you've ever heard in your fucking life? We don't have consent to watch anything in their life. You know what? They're not fucking real. That's the point. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Oh, the wow. actors consent to the scenes. <laughs> Man. I know. Things are getting ridiculous, man. They're getting fucking ridiculous. Okay, well, what else have you been watching? Okay. Um, last night, I went to go see uh, Godzilla Minus One. Exactly. Yup. Um, you haven't seen it yet, right? No, you're probably going to see it tomorrow-ish? I will avoid all spoilers. Okay. Um, but I will say that this is... Definitely one of the best Godzilla movies ever made. That's pretty much what everyone's been saying. So yeah, yeah. It, it may be the best Godzilla Ooh. movie ever made. It's different, but it's a good different. It's kind of like how Shin Godzilla was different mm-hmm. in its own little thing. Yeah, this is too, and and yeah, it's kind of another retelling of the original Godzilla monster, but it's done so well, and, and you actually care about the human drama in this one, and that's always one of the weak points of almost any Godzilla movie. Well, that's where the monster verse has just completely shat the bed. Cause they have, I don't give a shit about any of those characters. No, I liked Brian Cranston. Yeah. Until they the, kill him. As soon as he died, I got so bored. I was like, Oh shit. The only good character's gone. I'm stuck with these fuckers. I don't know how you're not doing the screen test and you're like, wait, no, this dude's the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Not his son. Right. Anyway, but yeah, great. I mean, this works without Godzilla. Um, but the Godzilla stuff is awesome. He's, he's probably never looked better Mm. in a a period. You know, I like, I do like the new Godzilla, the American Godzilla, but he's all right. He kind of lacks a personality, Mm -hmm. but this dude has a personality. This Godzilla, he's pretty vicious. There's a few callbacks to some of the earlier movies. I've heard there's some like scene, like they kind of recreate the same sort of like, Seen like shot for shot a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's really good. I'm stoked. Yeah, I think you'll dig it. So anyone out there, even if you're not like a big Godzilla fan, and this is a good time to jump on board because you do not need to see right. any of the other movies for this. It's probably good if you haven't. Uh, so go check it out. What have you been watching, dude? Cool. I have a tale of two animated experiences. Oh, uh, one one negative, one positive. So, 
I guess we'll get the uh, the sticky one out of the way. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, talking about some Netflix stuff. <laughs> um, in the gap since the last time we recorded, the Scott Pilgrim anime series has dropped. Scott Pilgrim mm-hmm. takes off. Mm-hmm. Where are you in the world of Scott Pilgrim? Are you? Um, I'd never read the comic, mm-hmm. um, but I really like the movie, mm-hmm. the live action film. Cool. So I was like diehard obsessed with the comic. Mm-hmm. I like the movie. I think it's like, I mean, it's what you expect if you take a thing that was like six graphic novels and then try to squeeze it down yeah. into a film. Right. Like the first half's like really great. And then the second half's kind of shaky. And then you, you get into all the stuff of like what he wanted to do. And then the studio made him switch it. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, I kind of want that movie that he was going to do, but whatever. Right. Um, and then there's the video game, which is excellent. I know you're not a big gamer over there, but no. uh, it's very much like a classic, like side scroller, beat em up, like River City Ransom That's fine. type deal. I like those. That's yeah. old school. Um, and it managed to be like very faithful to the comics and also give you some like fun what ifs. Because depending on who you're playing as, they kind of change the ending. Can you play as knives? You can, yeah. She awesome. was she was DLC, but I think now when they've re-released it, she's just like packed in there. Because so. she is the best character. We all know she this. Consistently is. <laughs> and um, I'm about to just shit all over this show. So okay. one thing I will say is that again, knives is like one of the best parts mm-hmm. in there. So that, that remains true in all universes. Um, so it's this the anime, constant. <laughs> kind of like the perfect storm of things. I'll, I'll set it up first. So we've got. Uh, Science Saru, Japanese studio animating it. They're super popular, super hot these days. Um, they've done all kinds of other shows that are really cool. We've got um, Brian Lee O'Malley, the original creator of the comic. He's on board with the story mm-hmm. and the writing. Okay. Um, they got back the entire cast, except I think maybe like one person or so from the film. Anyone okay. that mattered is back in mm-hmm. to voice their characters. That's cool. Um, they brought back Anna Gucci, the like punk rocky chiptune band mm. that did the soundtrack for the video game they did the score okay so you just yeah it sounds like, like everything's a, good. a perfect storm of everything you want it to be and if you've watched any of the trailers it looked like it was just literally like we took the comic and like tore it off the page into some awesome like really stylish animation i'm guessing that's not the case uh that is not the case it is like this super weird like its own story but also maybe kind of a sequel that um uh, I don't even know how to begin to talk about this. First of all, I fucking hate this. It's just like really <laughs> awful. But uh, so the premise is like episode one, it's like one-to-one with the comic, right? Mm-hmm. And it builds up. That's everything that happens. Like, oh, he's dating knives. He's not really into her. That's just a whatever thing. He finds Ramona, obsesses over Ramona. Though There's all these evil exes. You got to beat them all. Boom, boom, boom. If you know Scott Pilgrim, you know the hook of that. That's right. boom. There we go. So it all builds up to like the first encounter with the, with the first evil ex, which is Matthew Patel. Mm-hmm. And they have the big fight in the like nightclub where the bands are playing. Right. And it gets to that moment. And then in like this freak twist, Matthew Patel defeats Scott. And he like bursts into a coin and vanishes. Mm. So then it's like, oh shit, what's happened? And then the rest of the show is about like Ramona and going forward from that point. And it's just like, I'm sorry to be so mean about this. It's just like real shitty fan fiction wow. that someone made. Um, and I, I've noticed that the creator has been very vocal about like his involvement. Like he's trying to like stymie that argument, mm-hmm. but I'm sorry, dude, like it's mm. just bad. No. So like a lot of the characters that you would think about that kind of matter a lot, like uh, his bandmates, like Steven and um, Kim mm-hmm. or, or like his roommate Wallace, mm-hmm. um, they don't matter as much anymore because Scott's not there. So they're in it. 
but they're no longer the focus because they're not his like immediate circle. Okay. So instead it becomes more about like the evil exes themselves and they go on this thing of like redeeming each one and instead of defeating them, they get them to give up their like grudge against Ramona and just be friends with everybody. That's not lame. And that's why I say fanfic because it's very much <laughs> one of those things like, oh, what if like... Uh, like a, nobody fought and they like, all... <laughs> like well, nobody fought and like what if like Matthew Patel was hanging out with this guy... And then, like, Scott, instead of being, like, super evil and, like, overusing his vegan powers, like, he chilled out and turned out to be gay. And then, like, what if this happened? And, like, what if this? And it goes in really weird so directions. What, what if Scott Pilgrim, but different? <laughs> Completely different. What if we just deleted him and then just focused on, like, our favorite characters that we liked yeah. and made them be everything? And I'm totally going to spoil this show, so just tune out if you actually care. But I'm just going to say it's not worth your time. So mm-hmm. think of that what you will. But as it goes, it gets into all these weird directions of like the, there's no direction for knives now. Right. Cause all, everything of her development comes off of like, she's obsessed over Scott. She's obsessed over Scott and then she's dejected. And then she kind of eventually comes into her own person mm-hmm. and that's like her growth. Right. Um, but you, you don't get that now. So she becomes like buddies with Steven and they start a band and get into music and they want to make like a Scott Pilgrim musical to like memorialize him. And it's, just, it's more like weird, like fanfic wankery where it's like, what if we had like a musical version of all the events of Scott Pilgrim? Well, there's already so much music <laughs> yeah. in, in the live um, action film. Anyway. So then late, late series, it's like eight episodes. So you get into the back half. Then they start doing the like, I'm sorry to make this reference, Jason, but they do, they pull the last Jedi where they're like, oh, we're going to radically subvert everything about Scott Pilgrim that exists. And blow your fucking mind. Mm-hmm. So then it's like, Scott's not dead. He's in another universe. He's been like whisked away by some evil person. And then the evil person turns out to be an older version of Scott Pilgrim. That is maybe the Scott Pilgrim from the comics or maybe not. It depends on how you want to get into the vast multiverse of Scott Pilgrim that they open up to you. Oh God. Where the show is one version and the movie is one I'm version. I'm just going to say, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking tired of multiverses. Oh, I'm so fucking, fucking sick of it. Stop it, man. Jesus Christ. Um, and so this older Scott, he was the one that like got with Ramona, but then he never changed his ways totally. And so they ended up breaking up and he became like dejected. And then he became an evil ex. And so he was like abducting himself from another universe to like fuck with the reality of everything. And it's, it, it, it's so dumb. And then they bring in like a, the older Ramona that's from that universe and, and da da da. And it's a bunch of fighting. And then at the end they get their Scott back and he kind of still gets with Ramona and everyone's like happy and everything's good, mm-hmm. but it lacks all the nuance of like why the comics were so cool to people of like, here's these two shitty people and they, they've been through some shit, but they're also like shitty to everyone and they want to be together. And in the course of doing that, they both kind of like work through their shit and become better people at the end. Mm. And this just kind of deletes all of that. And then just does like a few hours of random antics with characters. And then they're just like, okay, everything's cool now. Oh, um, really, really pissed me off. I almost canceled Netflix over it. <laughs> um, yeah, I have nothing but bad things to say about it. So, wow. Okay. All right. Uh, I gave it a half star and letterboxed. Damn. It's the best I could, the worst I could give it, I guess. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you all heard um, it from here. It only sucks. bad things. Um, if you liked it, you're wrong. Fucking fight me. Let's go. Well, what's the, what's the reaction to it that most fans are having that you can tell? So I've seen people that have liked it because they're like, oh, you should just take it as its own thing. 
which I can respect that, but also like they advertised it as an adaptation. Like if yeah. you watch any of the trailers, it's like scene for scene. And it's not an adaptation. And all of that is just the first chunk of the first episode no. to like misdirect you. Um, and that's the thing is like the comics have never had a full adaptation because the movie was made before the final volume came out. Right. So they kind of had to just take notes and like crib an ending, mm-hmm. which is why the back half of that is so weird. So like everyone was excited, like and like I would say like the vibe was like, oh yes, we're finally gonna have like this is the Scott Pilgrim thing, animated start to finish the whole story. Like yeah, maybe they'll tweak a few things and change some stuff here and there, but whatever. Right. And then instead, it was kind of just like a weird misdirection. Hmm. That's annoying. To to what ends, I don't know. Um, they've already said there won't be another season. It was always meant to be just a standalone thing. So it wasn't um, very successful then. <laughs> I'm gonna bet it wasn't very successful because because I, I bet if it made all the money. They would have, you know, greenlit a sequel immediately. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things too, like, and this is the last dig I'll give it, is like, if you're coming to this and this is your first introduction to anything Scott Pilgrim, you're going to be so fucking confused. No. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like the Disney Plus shows, it's like everything else, unless you've seen the comics mm-hmm. and the movie mm-hmm. and the video game, mm-hmm. there's shit that you're not going to get because you don't know like the basic story of what it was. Okay. And you have like no frame of reference for anything. Yeah. I have no interest in that. So I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. I guess they're just literally relying on like the core fan base it already has. Hmm. It can't be that big. And it's almost like, and I've seen people say this online, it's like, this feels like this should have been season two to Mm. like, they adapted it first and then they made this to follow it up. Hmm. And then maybe people would be like more palatable to that, but I I don't know. Fuck it, it can rot in hell. Okay. Now, on the other hand, Mm -hmm. I stumbled on a weird anime movie from 2018 that I had never heard of kind of slipped my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, called Arane sign of vermilion. Hmm. What is it about? And so kind of like the buzz about this one is that it was all animated and conceived and written and directed by one dude, this guy named Saku Sakamoto. Now I do believe I, I didn't super go into this, but he is an illustrator. He's worked at some different anime studios, you know, doing art and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just had this idea for like a horror film that he wanted to do animated style and just kind of kept working on it by himself and building up and building up. Well, I work for one person. Um, so the animation is rough at times, mm-hmm. but again, you have to keep in mind, like this is one guy that did all yeah, this. And insane. in that light, it's like super fucking impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did lean on some CG for some stuff, a lot of like the backgrounds, sure. things like that. But I think um, we can come a break there. So it's, it's this very weird, very trippy horror story about this woman named Ren. And we we learned that she's a college student and she was like moving to an apartment to kind of be near to campus. And she got this weird shady deal that was supposed to be super cheap in this nice new like eco-friendly building where they took like an old industrial complex and like renovated it and then turned it into apartments. Okay. In reality, it's this weird like rundown, like horrific slum building that's perpetually cast in like a red glow of light. And it's just like weird and... She keeps seeing all these strange bugs everywhere. There's these creepy moths that have like eyes in the design of their wings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, she'll find like someone who's like sick and they'll be scratching and she'll see like stuff crawling under their skin. Hmm. Uh, very like disturbing, like body horror shit going on. Nice. And um, at the same time, there's a string of killings going on in the city and they think it's a serial killer. And you don't really get a sense of like what degree she has, but you, it's something psychological related. She has psychology books. She's in a class at one point and they're talking about like analyzing the mentality of a person. So you don't, you don't know if maybe it's like a, like a 
she's a criminal profiler or just a general psychologist, but she wants to try to start understanding what the fuck's going on in this city because something's weird. Sure. And as she goes, she starts to meet all these weird characters. She meets this girl that like may or may not be dead or is missing. Um, there's this strange woman that lives in her apartment complex that's pushing around this carriage, but you never see the baby inside and you don't know if there is a baby or not. Mm-hmm. There's um, said mass serial killer who has like a sur- like a surgical level like buzzsaw that he's running around with, <laughs> the kind you would use to like open up a skull or something. Yeah. Uh, and it just gets crazy and trippy and weird. And then it starts to go into like multiple layers of narrative as she starts to unravel what's going on. Because like on the one level, it's like there's maybe these things called spirit bugs that represent like the soul of a person. And when they leave, sometimes a person can become a monster in the aftermath of that. And then there's like a thing she finds about like there were strange military experiments in World War II where they were trying to make like unliving perfect soldiers to use for combat. And and then it's like, is it that? Is it this? And mm-hmm. she has dreams of like a weird future world where it's like the apocalypse and there's gigantic bugs everywhere and everything is just like fucking destroyed and like this hellscape. And she kind of just starts to lose her grip on reality as she tries to seek the truth. Hmm. And I'll say, more, say no more. It has a super trippy ending that was super weird. And I'm still not sure what I think about it. I guess mm. you want to watch it again and see if maybe like knowledge from the back half kind of changes things in the front half. But right. um, really cool, super impressive for one guy. And he's working on a sequel called uh, The Feast of Amrita, which is supposed to come out this year. Cool. And it seems like it's going to uh, continue some of the threads from the first one as far as like this idea of like these spirit bugs and the strange like apartment complex that's at the center of everything. So this is something you would recommend? Highly, yeah. Is it easily accessible? Um, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere at the moment, but um, Sentai Filmworks, they're one of the big anime companies over here right now. Mm-hmm. They have a Blu-ray release of it. Oh, nice. It's pretty cheap. It's like 15, 20 bucks, depending yeah. on where you catch it. So, Right on. Worthy investment if you like some Japanese horror and you like anime. And I even noticed um, the director of Ring Zero... He had some very kind stuff to say about this film because he watched it and kind of promoted it. Oh, cool. I like Ring Zero. Um, he said uh, that to him it was the first time that an actual anime feature had captured like the feeling of a J-horror movie. And, that, you know, of course there's other like horror anime, but this sure. one actually like has that vibe. Yeah. It was kind of how he framed it. That's uh, Norio Saruta is his name. Nah, yes. Yeah. Very I, cool. I had to look it up. I forgot. Nice. I shall check it out. So, yeah, put that on your radar if you like weird... J-horror stuff. And you really should. So today we are talking about Blowout from 1981, directed by the Brian De Palma. This is what, our second go at one of his films, I believe? Oh yeah, right. I forgot about uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. Duh. That, that, that is such an outlier for De Palma. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the same time, technically, <laughs> yeah, it's a De Palma film. But it's just... Whew. Once you know his films, you see the elements in there. But yeah. yeah. If you watch it in a vacuum, it's like... It's different. How did he go from one to the other? Yeah. Um, do you, do you want to do the synopsis here? I've, I've got one over here. Uh, uh, go for it, man. Sure. Yeah. Jack Terry is a master sound recordist who works on grade B horror movies. Late one evening, he is recording sounds for use in his movies when he hears something unexpected through his equipment. 
Curiosity gets the better of him when the media becomes involved and he begins to unravel the pieces of a nefarious political conspiracy. As he struggles to survive against his shadowy enemies and expose the truth, he no longer knows whom he can trust. Pretty succinct. Mm-hmm. Now, you had not seen this before. I had not, no. It has been a while since I've seen it. I mm-hmm. saw it, oh my God. It's probably been 20 years since I've seen this movie. Damn. But it always stuck with me. I always really enjoyed it. So uh, we don't usually talk about what other people think about it until the end, but I kind of wanted to bring this up right at the top. Okay. This didn't do very well in theaters. It did not. And it was kind of after the fact it got a cult following mm-hmm. and led to people kind of re-examining it down the line. Yeah, like it had a budget of $18 million, which mm-hmm. is pretty... Pri- I think it was his most expensive film to date. That's and, big for him. Yeah. and But only made $13.7 million at the box office. Not good. Yeah. And the sad thing is, I think when he pitched it... Um, when I was reading stuff about it, they said that his pitch was like $3 million to make it. <laughs> and then they wanted to pump a bunch of money in it and get like bigger stars. So we should say the uh, the titular Jack character that we were talking about is played by John Travolta. That's got a great cast. And he is he's looking good in this movie, man. Yeah, this is... God. Until I started watching more of his filmography, I always really dismissed Travolta. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, so before Pulp Fiction... <laughs> And he wasn't really on anyone's radar if you're of a certain age. Right. I had seen, of course, I saw Carrie. Right. And he's he's fine in it, but he doesn't have that big of a part. Um, I saw um, Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. which was it's fun. It's, yeah, but it's also very goofy and pretty laughable by today's standard. It, it, it aged poorly. Let's put it <laughs> I that haven't way. revisited it since like high school. Oh, I would so. call it in my hair. You touch it. <laughs> you touch my hair. Uh, Greece, of course. Greece, yeah. yes, which I have a... Which is the word. It is the word. But, oh my God, I don't know how, how many times <laughs> I had to hear that soundtrack as a kid. Man, I still listen to it, so... And nothing wrong with that. Okay. It's fine. It's a fun movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Um, well, actually, when I was reading about this, apparently this was one of the films that contributed to kind of tanking his career for a little bit. That's sad, because he's yeah. excellent in this. It's very sad. He is very good in this movie. He has a very strong performance. Uh, so what genre is this movie? Oh, God. Um, let's see what IMDb calls it. They call it um, crime drama mystery. All valid, I think. Yeah. All valid. I, I don't know why Thriller isn't in this. Definitely Thriller. They, should th- be they throw death. Thriller on everything. Why is Thriller not on this the one? The one time they should easily have it in there, they don't. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, I think it's important, too, to men- mention just like conspiracy, just in general. Because mm-hmm. that's very deeply rooted in this film. Oh, yeah. Plot. And I've noticed in some places they refer to this as a neo-noir. Which that's a whole loaded thing. And I know, I know one, one, day, one day Michael, I think, wants to talk about that because that's like a whole bug to get into. But. Well, then he needs to get his ass over here and talk about <laughs> it. Um, but I, I can kind of see it, I think. It has elements of noir. Oh. Sure, sure. You've got like the woman in trouble. Yeah. Oh. you got someone involved, getting involved in a mystery, trying to figure it out. you mm-hmm. got some sleazy people. you got the whole kind of dirty city underbelly kind of thing going. Which wrapped up in that noir and thriller side. Also, there's a little bit of like a Jolly vibe in this. Very, very much a Jolly vibe in this. Especially in the score, I thought. Yep. Um, It has that mix of like, you've got the low to the ground, like synthy stuff. Mm -hmm. But then when you need it for that big moment, you've got the sweeping orchestral, just like big moment song. Yeah, and of course, the the score was done by Pino Donaggio, who had done... Fuck ton of yeah. movies. Fuck ton of stuff. And I could have swore he worked with Argento song, but I looked it up and he hasn't. Surprisingly. Well, then notably, the, the ty- kind of one of the title themes in this, I think it's called Sally and Jack. 
It's like the love theme between the two of them. Uh, Tarantino used that in Death Proof. Okay. He's also a big fan of this movie. Yeah. I think he says to him it's like the best, I think, with the Palma. So. Wow. Okay. An argument could be made. But yeah, I guess let's get into it. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie, and I don't think you'll argue with me on this, it has one of the best openings of yes. all time. <laughs> yes. Because it opens in one of the movies that they've been making. Yes. Uh, it, it, it just opens this way with a... It's a POV shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a killer outside this college dorm. You know, it's his point of view. It's the same thing we've seen a billion times in slasher films. Very 80s slasher. And this came out in 81. This came out at the height yeah. of slasher films. <laughs> so they're already parodying the stuff, mm-hmm. which we knew because we have movies like Student Bodies and things yeah. like that. It was already being parodied all the way back then. But it's so fun to see it done so well. <laughs> on this budget with this level of talent. Yeah, and this movie they're working on is called Coed Frenzy, we yeah. find out. And... <laughs> I wish he shot the whole movie because I want to see this movie. Dude, I would watch this. I would watch this in a heartbeat. It's like five minutes of some teenage kid's id exploded all over the screen. <laughs> yes. Well, the cool thing is like he's out the back of the dorm and there's several rooms and each room has a window. And of course it's open and the the blinds are open. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just is weaving room to room and you're seeing all the raunchy shit these people are getting up to. Each room has his own sight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's like these two girls half naked dancing, mm-hmm. listening to loud music. And there's this cop too who's walking by and he stops. Security guard maybe. Campus security. And he's watching. <laughs> and then the killer comes up behind and stabs him. Yes. And then the killer starts watching. You got one room where a girl has snuck a guy in. They're having sex. Yeah, they're having sex. Uh, you've got a, a nice girl who's studying. Yeah, telling the, music... the, the loud girls to be quiet. Yeah. He says, I'm going to get Sue. So she comes back with Sue. And Sue's like wearing, she has an open robe, underwear, yes. you know, just sexy as hell. Maybe you think a little bit of uh, Black Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, so the killer gets into the building. And this is where it becomes even more surreal because... He should be seen by these people. Yeah, very he, clearly. He's kind of ducking behind uh, walls and stuff like that. But I mean, he he passes right in front of people that would see this guy. Yeah. But somehow he's like magically immune to being it, detected. It's like he has that Michael Myers power. Or something. <laughs> right. And he's like, he sees the shower room, right? And he looks behind him and this open door. And there's a girl masturbating in there. Yes. And it's just... Jeez. <laughs> And I love to, uh, he goes into the bathroom we're getting to the climax of the scene mm. and he looks at himself in the mirror. Uh-huh. A cool shot. And I thought he looked kind of like Stephen King. Do you think that? A, a little bit, yeah. I can, <laughs> I can see kinda that. kind of dorky yeah. looking, kind of. A little, little doofy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's someone in there taking a shower. Sure is. And you know you got to do it. Yeah. You got to do the psycho kill. Yeah. Uh, so he goes to the shower, opens up the door. She sees him. He raises the knife and she starts screaming and we get the limpest just like <laughs> it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we cut to uh, uh like a viewing booth room mm-hmm. you know and it's jack terry played by john travolta with his director and they're watching the movie that they're shooting they're watching the rushes right yeah and, and, and jack just starts laughing yeah yeah <laughs> and his director's like what the fuck that's a terrible scream <laughs> And all of us there debating it. He's like, well, I didn't hire her for a scream. I hired her for her tits. <laughs> and then he's like, what are you worried about? She's got great tits. They're not going to be caring about the scream. And they do a funny thing where they make them like isolate the audio because he's convinced that it's not the scream itself that's the problem. Mm-hmm. But when they do it, yeah, Jack's it's right. It's just a terrible scream. Terrible scream, terrible scream. And I think we should go ahead and mention real quick that um, 
and it was a gorgeous Steadicam shot mm-hmm. on the opening here, and it was done by Garrett Brown, who is the inventor of the Steadicam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which uh, Steadicam is something that Brian De Palma loves to use, and this was kind of the start mm-hmm. of him yeah. fooling around with that. And Brown had just got done shooting The Shining. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's this great interview with him on the Blu-ray where he's like, I just got done with The Shining and I'm coming here. And he thought for a minute they were making some shitty horror movie. (laughs) He's like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Um, But yeah, his his, uh, director's really pissed and he's like, hey, we just got to get other girls in and just dub over it and replace the screen. That's Mm -hmm. all we Mm -hmm. can do. And he wants um, Sam as the director, the name of his director. Yeah, played by Peter Boyden. Yeah, and there's this funny line where he's talking about, like, the, the wind sounds awful. I've heard that sound effect, you know, a hundred times. Get yeah. me new wind. Yeah, because Jack's like, well, that's just the catalog. Yeah, that's library sound. Yeah. I've used it the last four movies. And he's like, yeah, that's the problem. I, I keep hearing it. And apparently that was an actual conversation that the Palma had with his sound guy on the previous movie. <laughs> it's art imitating life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're talking about like how long they've been working together, mm-hmm. the movies they've made, and we get a rundown of the titles, which are fantastic. God, they're amazing. We I get, would watch all of these. Not me too. They uh, watch. They made Bloodbath, uh, Bloodbath Two. Apparently, Bloodbath was pretty successful. Uh, <laughs> Bad Day at Blood Beach, uh, Bordello of Blood, which strangely became a quite shitty movie later on. Well, I'm, I'm going to argue, argue with it about it being it's shitty, shitty. But, but yeah, it was one of the Tales from the Crypt uh, presents yes. films. Uh, and then Coed Frenzy is the current one, which is a great name. It's a million dollar name right there. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, so then we get a title sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see Jack. He's working uh, in his office. Oh, we t- get so much like gear porn in we this do. film. We <laughs> do, we do. Because uh, he's kind of he has a TV on at the same time, and there's mm-hmm. like some news reports going on. So he's working, getting his shit together, and yeah, the Palm is doing a split screen thing. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing his reels rolling, and all the tape, and at the same time you're getting the news report at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, this is the first of many just yeah gear porn, <laughs> just n- devices that are now completely obsolete, mm-hmm. but are so beautiful and gorgeous. And God, just the craft of like yeah. slicing these the right spot. And and there's still something to that. I'm sorry. I mean, you know me, I'm mm-hmm. kind of a old school in some ways, but there is something about that magnetic tape, you know, and the, yeah. the, the, the physicality of it, you know, the tactile nature of it. Um, and, and using your hands to work the knobs and levers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's just something about it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, so on this news report, the big news right now is about uh, Governor McRyan, mm-hmm. who is pretty much set to defeat the incumbent president on the next election. Yep. It's going to be a landslide yeah. at this point. There's no way he could lose. Right. And we also find out that we're in Philadelphia. They're mm-hmm. talking about some big Liberty Bell uh, anniversary special extravaganza. They're have a big parade and they're yeah. going to ring the bell for the first time in like a ton of years. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he's like kind of filing away a lot of his audio stuff he's recorded, and he's getting his like field recording kit because mm-hmm. he's going to go out and try to capture some new wind, which he does. So we next see him out at night recording, and this is a fun sequence too. Mm-hmm. He's in he's, a park. He's at a park. He's standing on a bridge. He's got his you know big long microphone out, sensitive, listening to all these different sounds. Like, yeah, God, the audio design on this of like he'll point his mic, and then they like hone the sounds. So you're yeah. getting like exactly what the mic is. Yeah, picking it's up. faint at first, and it comes in sharper, and they kind of like. 
I, I, they like mute other audio, so it sounds like you're getting like the in headphone can mm-hmm. sound that he is getting. Right, right. Yeah. Like he he hears a, a couple out for a walk, being kind of cozy and stuff like that, and they're like, "Oh, that, that guy's watching us." Yeah. <laughs> I he... want to talk about this too because Jack kind of smirks and is like, "He's he's enjoying this." Sure. And that's like a De Palma thing, right? Like this voyeuristic mm-hmm. element. Like I think a dress to kill. Oh yeah. That's like a very heavy voyeuristic sure. element. To and the, the follow up to this body double. Yeah. Does oh, big yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, also very Hitchcockian, mm-hmm. the whole rear window thing. Oh, yeah. And we sure. know that Palma worships at the altar of Hitchcock. <laughs> for sure. And like he's getting like owl sounds and the frog and going back and forth to those. Um, but then he hears something else and it sounds like tires squealing and the engine revving. Well, there's like a pop. Yeah, and there's like a pop. And then he hears a tire squeal. Mm-hmm. And he turns just in time to see this very nice car kind of careening along the road. Yep. And it, boom, crashes through the fence and just goes right into the lake. Right into the lake. And he's like, holy shit. And wastes no time mm-hmm. to his credit. Throws all his equipment down, gets into the water, and swims down there. And, and we get a neat scene as he dives in. Mm-hmm. We see from, like, the underside of the bridge. And there's just a guy there. And he looks like he has a camera. Right. And he flips the fuck out and just runs away. Right. That's yeah. That was so much of, like, a giallo moment to me of just, like... Yeah. Here's this weird little crumb we're going to throw you. Right. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, there's a woman trapped in the car. Mm-hmm. And that's our le- other lead, Sally, played by Nancy Allen. Who was married to De Palma at the time. Was also in Carrie. Mm-hmm. Or she was also matched with John Travolta in that <laughs> one. You think uh, You think old Brian had a, uh, a predilection <laughs> there? He had a type. Uh, she was also dressed to kill. Great in that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I actually played a sex worker in that one, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's also a man who is dead yeah, in the car. Clearly. Head wound. Is, yeah. It was just taken out. There's no saving him. Uh, so eventually she get he gets the girl out. It's pretty harrowing, too, because, like, he tries to open the door, break in. He can't. Mm-hmm. He has to go up for air, come back down, and then he gets a rock and is able to finally smash the window out. Right. Yes. And also a story that De Palma has is that Nancy Allen is extremely claustrophobic. Oh. And he didn't want to put her through this scene, but she was like, no, I want to do it. Mm-hmm. I want to do it. And if you have seen Body Double, you will know he works this into that movie. Oh. I haven't seen Body Double in a while. It's kind of fuzzy for me. Yeah, it's Craig Wasson where he plays an actor. He has claustrophobia, mm. but he has this scene where he has to be in a coffin and he freaks out and he can't do it. Nice. So similar to this movie, we'll find out it involves an artist having issues with their work, but using uh, their craft as a way to cure themselves in mm-hmm. a way. <laughs> Neat. Yeah. So anyway, we're at the hospital and Jack's like giving a statement, uh, talking to some cop, talking about how you heard a bang before the blowout. Oh, there's the title. Oh, yeah. And the cop's <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. You know, you're out there recording. We don't care. <laughs> they're pretty dismissive. Mm-hmm. And he asks if he can check on the girl. Mm-hmm. Is she okay? And they're like, well, we drugged her, but uh, if, you're, if you're just a few minutes, it's probably not a big deal. Yeah. And I love how he's also smoking the entire time. <laughs> just chain smoking. Walking through the hospital yeah. smoking. This is a busy place, too. They have like a ton of patients. All the seats are filled with people waiting to be seen. Yeah, this is no Halloween 2 hospital. No. This is actually, like, busy. <laughs> it's actually a hospital. Philadelphia's a little more jumping than Haddonfield. <laughs> yeah, he goes to talk to the girl. She's kind of sedated and a little out of it. Her name's Sally. 
and Jack's kind of instantly flirting with her, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's funny because at first it seems like he's just trying to be like friendly, but mm-hmm. but yeah, there's some some chemistry there. Yeah. Um, but you know he, he's nice to her. He's he's you know. And it's funny because she's just wanting to jump up and leave. And yeah. Just go, and he's like, "Hey, hey well, whoa, you, whoa. you need to stay here." Yeah. <laughs> and he finally convinces her, "If you'll stay in the bed, I'll take you off for a drink when they release you." Yeah. But she's like, "I want to go now." <laughs> <laughs> But then there's a commotion in the hospital. Like, even more activity starts happening. These cops are coming in. Yeah, the media shows up. Yeah, they're willing somebody in on a stretcher and shit. And we get a really cool split diopter. Mm, yeah, another one. There's there's a lot of good ones in this movie. This is a really nice one where we have a Travolta in the foreground. And in the background is, like, a couple of cops talking, mm. giving us the rundown of what happened. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, it's Governor McRyan. <laughs> yep, turns out it's McRyan who was in the car. And uh, Jack gets pulled aside by one of his men. Um, what's his name? Lawrence. Lawrence Henry is his name. Yeah, played by John McMartin. Yeah. And uh, he tells Jack, because the cop told him everything that happened. He tells mm-hmm. Jack, you know, forget about the girl you found. There was no girl. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to do this to his family. You know, he's out with some other woman. Yeah. Why put them through it? You know, He's already I, dead. That's yeah. going to devastate them anyways. And Let's not... Muddy it up. Yeah, and Travolta's like, I don't know if I can agree with that. That's not the truth. That's not what happened. Which is your first hint about his yeah, kind of character. He's got some honor, you know. But eventually he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, if he's dead and he doesn't want to... He's made them feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I won't say anything. And they kind of just put him up to getting Sally out of there, too. Yeah, yeah. Sally wants to get out of there. But uh, they're also talking about how they don't want to go to their homes... Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk to any reporters or anyone who's been, you know, following up on them. Mm-hmm. So they just go to a motel. And uh, he kind of puts her in the bed. Yeah, because she's out of it still. Where yeah, she's yeah. on all the, the medicine and stuff. And he starts getting out his equipment. And Not his, that equipment. Not that equipment. His audio equipment. His audio equipment. Which he carefully preserved <laughs> when he went to save her. Yep. yep. And, and he's thinking, you know, I'm just going to pass some time and check my recording. Yeah. He's not even really caring about the wreck so much at first. But it's as he listens, that's when it suddenly starts to click with him a little bit. Yeah, we get this really cool scene where he's sitting at the table in the motel room and he's like holding a pencil, mm-hmm. like he was holding his microphone. Yeah, he's and remembering he, every yeah. direction. And he's listening to it and he's moving his pencil in the direction of where he moved his microphone and there's back and forth. It's really, really fun. Um, and there's even a sequence where he imagines a gun firing and blowing out the tire. Right, because he's just imagining to the sounds. Yeah, yeah. And that's when, because everyone had said at the hospital, like, oh, the tire blew out of yeah, the car. Yeah, tire blew out, right. It but was a like, freak accident. And he's convinced he hears a bang before the blowout. Um, so later that night, we get some guy looking sneaky. Uh, he removes a tire from his trunk. And we also notably see a box that says magnetic tape eraser. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and this is something, I mean, I miss this. I miss subtlety. <laughs> you know, it's like... There is no way in hell it would be that subtle now. Right. Well, because you have the internet and the cloud and... That too. But even <laughs> even if someone was just going to erase someone's tapes at some point, because mm-hmm. you see this box, you know that's going to happen. You know he has this equipment and he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. They would have showed it actually happening. They yeah. would never have trusted the audience oh, yeah, to see this saying. box yeah. and read it and put that together later on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, so he brings out, this guy brings out another tire, 
goes to the sedan that had wrecked. Mm-hmm. The, swaps the governor him. swaps him out. The so next, we know there's something nefarious. Yep, something going nefarious on. is happening. It's that classic thing where it's like you, the viewer, knows, mm-hmm. but we've been given info that the characters don't have. Yep. Yeah. So the next morning, Jack's kind of talking about what he does, his profession to Sally. And says that he just does sound for bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> and she talks about how she loved to do makeup for movies. She's mm-hmm. really good at makeup. Yeah, some of her scenes are funny too, where she talks about like how you can transform a face with makeup and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there's been developments in the death of Vic Ryan. We find out there's this character, Manny Carp, who's played by Dennis Franz. And he is a like tabloid photographer type. Mm-hmm. At least that seemingly that's how he presents himself at first. Yep. And he said he was out shooting some night shots. He has a really fancy camera that can take night shots. And he just happened to be in the park when the blowout happened. Just happened. Yeah. And he captured footage of the wreck and he sold it to a bunch of magazines. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And this is Dennis Franz in one of his first of many sleazy roles. Yeah. I mean, he's <laughs> so perfect for it, too. Wasn't it like this year or the next? He was in Psycho 2 yeah. as the hotel manager. <laughs> uh, oh, there's also a scene where uh, Jack kind of asks Sally what she was doing in the car. Yeah. And she gets offended. Like, you know, what are you implying? None of your business, that kind of thing. Like, it's exactly what he thinks it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like the movie Pieces. It's exactly yep. what you think it is. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's this great scene uh, where uh, Jack is going to the offices of their building. Oh, yeah. I and this. I think they're, it's like International Pictures Incorporated or something like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously modeled after API. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess AIP. AIP. Both. Yeah. yeah, yeah, AIP. Um, and we've seen all these great posters hanging up. Yes. And there's, there's a little booklet that comes with the Blu-ray. And there's like a spread of some of the posters. Oh, which again, when this episode drops, uh, I think the Criterion sale is still going on. You can run out to Barnes & Noble, get this 50% off. Yeah, yeah. You can hear me flipping through it right now. Yeah. That's, that's some good good podcasting right there. It is, isn't it? That's <laughs> some good ASMR. <laughs> Do you like these pages? Oh, God. Do you like the way I flip them around real soft? Okay, so some of the posters we have are The Incredible Melting Man. Um, the Boogeyman, that mm. one's pretty prominent. Uh, Without Warning, mm. uh, Squirm, great poster mm. for a terrible movie. Uh, Empire of the Ants, classic. Uh, Seafood of the Gods, uh, something called Fant- Fantasex. Oh, so it's oh. like some, uh, yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah, some softcore stuff there. So, all these great, lovely posters. Oh, also in this booklet, there's like um, a reproduction of the magazine article that John Travolta is about to peruse. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Also, when he's cutting through there, isn't that when they have the like lineup of girls? It's like the first wave of girls they brought in. Yeah. 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 And his director's trying to get him to come home and listen to the girls screaming. He's like, I don't have time. (laughs) Yeah. So Jack gets a copy of the magazine and there's like a series of still pictures. Mm -hmm. Um, No magazine would ever print this either. It's, It's so weird. It's just pages and pages. Of, like, each frame of the shot. Well, apparently, it was heavily influenced by the Zapruder film. Because mm-hmm. some magazines did print the Zapruder film Okay, like let that. me rephrase what I said. Mm-hmm. No one now would print this. No one now would print this. <laughs> no one now would go out and buy a magazine. <laughs> well, that's true as well. Yeah, I guess they would be on a website, and each 
picture would be its own page mm-hmm. so they could get more ad clicks. Yeah. So, and I love this scene too, because Jack starts cutting up all the, all the pictures mm, Yeah, and he's putting them in the right order and he does a little flip thing, like a flip book. And mm-hmm. you can see that, Hey, he's got some motion here because that's what movies are. You know, it's yeah. just a series of, you know, still pictures. I mean, it's funny too, because like he has this idea that like, if he sets it to the images, his audio will make it more clear that it was a gunshot. Right. That, that, that blew off the tire. Yeah. And we see him taking shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loads them up into his, his camera and takes takes one second shots, makes a, makes a movie out of it, and drops it off to be processed. Because back then you also had to wait forever mm. for a lab to process your fucking film. That's true as well. Uh, so Jack calls up Sally. They meet at the train station. She's about to go somewhere. He talks her into getting a quick drink. Oh, real quick. I had, I had a gear porn note that I put oh, down. Oh, yeah, so yeah. When he's making his own little like thing with the animation camera, mm-hmm. that camera is a Bolex H16 EBM electric 16 millimeter. Oh. Uh, it was made in Switzerland, and it was first introduced in 1935. Wow, nice. And just to get it out of the way, since we're in this little break, uh, the sound recording equipment that he uses on the bridge, that's a Swiss-made Nagra 3. Mm-hmm. You want to go troll eBay and try to pick some of those up? I'm sure it's <laughs> the cost of a car or something at this point. But. <laughs> it's either extremely cheap or horribly expensive. Yeah. There's no in between. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he goes to meet up with Sally. Yeah, and they're talking at the bar at the train station because she's getting out of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get a little background on Jack. Yeah, here's where we finally it pieces together that uh, the hospital scene where he's like, "Well, no, that's not the truth." Right. We learned what he was doing before he started making movies. He was working with the cops. Mm-hmm. Well, he said he did a stint and for the Marines. Yeah. And then he started working with the cops. And she's like, oh, you're a cop? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, he was working for some special commission that was investigating corruption. Yep. They're capturing corrupt cops. Yeah, he was their sound guy. So, so he, he would rig up the wires on people to get the confessions. Exactly. So they could bust them. Yep, and we get the flashback to the scene. He's riding along with the cops. They're going after one of their guys who's in the car with some mobsters. Yeah, this is like the big one. They're going to get like yeah, the head gangster that's yeah. been like the biggest and most active in their area. But we see the undercover cop in the car, and he's sweating like a motherfucker. You yeah. know? Dude's nervous. Yeah, and John Javota starts having some trouble with the audio. Keeps kind of coming in and out, a lot of static. And when it cuts to him with the gangster guy... He is like jerking and shaking. Yeah, he's obviously in some discomfort yeah. and asked to go to the bathroom. So they stop somewhere. <laughs> and Jack's narrating this and he talks about how the one thing he did not figure on was that this guy was going to sweat profusely and mm-hmm. short out his equipment. So it started fucking burning him. Yeah. <laughs> so they're telling him in the car and they stop and they see the, they see the undercover guy go into the bathroom. Uh, the mobster come in after him. But then just the mobster leaves and they drive off. Mm-hmm. And the officer tries to stop Jack, but he immediately books it in there to check on him. Yeah, because he's a good guy. And the undercover dude is strung up by the fucking sound equipment, by like the wire. Yep. <laughs> so we get some of his trauma here. Yeah, and so that's kind of why he's on these like B-grade movies, is because like he doesn't want to be, I guess, like in the action in a way. Like he, he doesn't. Just... He doesn't want to be in a position where he's going to put someone's yeah. life, you know, in in peril. So he's still using kind of his like audio engineer related skills but yeah and in a safer yeah <laughs> context 
Uh, but this whole incident has kind of brought him back to where he was, in a sense. Yeah, it kind of uh, reignites his crusader spirit. Mm-hmm. So now he wants to figure out, and he's tired of people fucking around with him. Right. So he wants to figure out what's going on. And we find out from Sally that that Henry dude gave her money to leave town. That's why she was at the train station. Yep. But Jack's like, nah, stick around. You got to help me out. He says, if you help me, we can blow this wide open. Mm-hmm. And he tells her about his plan to sync his audio to the images of the car once he gets the film back. And it'll make it so obvious no one would ever doubt it. Yep. Good plan. And then this is where we check in with... Um, we get a little bit more about uh, the Manny Carp guy, right? This is where we find out that like him and Sally kind of work together. Uh, we have one scene before that, mm. which is someone from afar... Oh, yeah, holding yeah, yeah. a picture of Sally at the mall. Mm-hmm. And he's like watching people walking by. And you see a, a woman who looks very much like Sally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he begins to follow her. And they leave the mall and they're out in some desolate space. And uh, once he kind of gets her alone, he grabs her and takes her off into the shadows. And it's like some construction zone or mm-hmm. something. Uh, garrotes her. And then takes an ice pick and starts stabbing her. Which and this later learn he makes the shape of the Liberty Bell. He does. And we see that this individual is none other than John Lithgow. Yeah, which is kind of shocking. One of the greatest actors of our time. <laughs> I, I genuinely believe that. He's I, great in he, this. He is amazing. And he's, I think he's been criminally underutilized. I mean, he's always showing up in supporting roles and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, man, the man is awesome. He's so good. Yeah, but this character is Burke. And he's kind of part of the conspiracy uh, that's working against McRyan. He is indeed. Uh, he's kind of kind of taking it into his own hands. Uh, he takes his job very seriously. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then we get the scene where Sally goes to Carp. And mm-hmm. we realize, oh, hey, yeah, they're in cahoots. Yeah, it's not that she's really a prostitute so much as they kind of scam people. They uh, Oh, honeypot. Yeah, she'll, uh, she'll get in with a guy. Don't, don't even have to have sex. Just kind of get in the bed with him. Manny, compromising position. Manny gets the photos. Then they blackmail him. Get the money. Get some money. Get out. Yep. Nice and easy. Yep. And uh, she's giving him shit because she said how she could have died that night, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you didn't do anything. And he's like, hey, what was I supposed to do? That guy jumped in the water. He saved you. He did a better job than I could have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but basically we learned. So uh, one of the rivals to McRyan hired Burke to kind of set this all up. And Manny kind of frames it like, well, I didn't know that Burke was going to shoot out the tire. Yeah. He didn't tell me that was part of the plan. Yeah, this guy hired me to go there and shoot film. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything else. When that happened, the guy saved you. I booked. You know, I'm getting the money. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what we kind of learn in the next few scenes from Burke's end is that this is like a loose end, right? That Sally is still alive. Correct. And and he's talking to a guy who was being interviewed earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um I forget the guy's name, but he was like the governor's right-hand man. Yeah. His, so older dude. Assistant. Um, and the guy's like fussing at Burke saying that was not the plan. You were supposed to get pictures of him with the hooker. That's it. And he's like, well, you wanted McRyan out of the race. I got him out I of the race. I got him out yeah. of the race. Yeah. He, basically, he went with his own plan that he <laughs> yeah. proposed but was shot down on. Um, and then they're like, well, we just need to, you know, cover up all the loose ends now at this point. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, what are you doing? Yeah, he lays out his entire plan. Yep, he's going to con, kind of, kind of configure and create a story of a serial killer 
who is, uh, what's the name? The Liberty Bell Strangler. Yeah. And he is going to kill women that looks like Sally mm-hmm. to make a chain of plausibility and then eventually kill her. Yep. So that's the loose end tied up. Make it like she just got killed by a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not a bad plan as far as plans go, I guess. I mean, if you're a raving madman, I guess. <laughs> and Lithgow's really <laughs> great here, too. He's playing Burke like... You could tell he's probably ex-military. Mm-hmm. He's very clipped, very professional. He always feels like he's one second from blowing up, but he never really does. Yeah, it's that kind of contained rage. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he's talking on a public phone too, but he's like uh, he's dressed up as like a telephone worker, you know, <laughs> like working on the lines and stuff like that. Meanwhile, Jack has the film with the car crash that he'd made mm-hmm. and there's another, another wonderful gear porn as you say yes. sequence of him syncing it up he's working on his movieola and he's syncing up the images with his audio and using his wax pencil to mark it where the sound happens god I love that yeah cutting it together it's just um, we should say there is kind of like a, a goof here but um, I don't see a reason to harp on it but I, I've noticed online some people do is that mm-hmm. um, the number of photos they have of the car aren't enough to make the animation is fluid as it is. That's just pedantry. I yeah. mean, who cares? <laughs> you're just being a prick at that point. <laughs> I guess if you're someone who really cares about animation, you actually need many, many cells yeah. of stuff to make fluid animation like that. But, but I don't know. There's a recreation of all the of the picture, pictures here, and there's quite a few of them. Um, I didn't put in my notes because I didn't care to, but someone did factor in like how many it would have to actually be to make that. Yeah, because you're talking about 24 frames per second, and it's probably so many seconds, and it's not that many frames. Whatever. Who cares? Doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) So he takes it to the cops. Yep. And I think this scene is super fucking fascinating. It is. Oh, but before that, we also see that he hides uh, uh, the tape up in his uh, closet. Yeah, in his Uh, apartment. He has like the... um, The drop-down ceilings. The drop-down ceilings, and so he kicks one one up and hides the original up in there. Yep. And he even sees a puff of smoke from the gun in this film he made. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he goes to the cops. And you find this scene fascinating? Yes, I do. Because he, the guy he gets, I guess it's the detective that's on the case. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels like they have a little history. Right. Because you do find out that the detective is familiar with what Jack used to do. Yeah. And he's kind of bitter to him because he's like, you put away some good men. Right, even though they were doing shady shit. You know, yeah, doing what you did. Yeah, the whole thin blue line thing. They mm-hmm. got to stick together, blah, blah, um, blah, bullshit. And it seems like he's really dismissive of him, but I think it's notable that despite all the shit he gives him, he does still decide, well, I'm going to watch the tape and look at your evidence. Because it's like he knows that Jack's a stand-up guy. Yeah. Means what he says. But he's not going to do it right now. No. Because Jack even tries to take it. He's like, no, put that right back down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's like, oh, if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to take it to someone who will. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Uh, um, so then. I guess I guess just to sum up on that, I think it tells you a lot about Jack as a character without like them info dumping it on you. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, economical storytelling, you might say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jack eventually finds out about Carp. Well, he knows about Carp because he's all over the news and shit like that because mm-hmm. of the magazine pictures and all that. He goes to his place of business. And he finds a cop there because they're looking for him too. Oh, but before this, isn't this where like, because the whole impetus for this is that um, when the detective watches the video, there's nothing there. That hasn't happened yet. Oh, it hasn't? It has not. Oh. No. Mm. 
But uh, I think Jack wants to get try to get the original film. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, because there's some dialogue about how you know anyone could construct that together and yeah, make he, make he, their own audio. Yeah, he brings that up to Sally is that people could say that he faked it all. Yeah, if he was like a conspiracy nut. Yeah, but if he gets the original film, then there you go. Mm-hmm. Which hopefully has audio and whatnot, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, he goes to Carps to try to theft that, and that's where he finds out about. Sally's hustle because mm-hmm. he finds all the photos. That's funny because the detective that's there is going through the photos. Like, yeah. Hey man, check this out. <laughs> yeah. And she's in a bunch of different ones with different men in compromising positions. So then that's when uh, Jack goes back to his studio and is stopped by Sam. <laughs> and there's this funny sequence where he's got a couple of girls in the sound booth yeah. and he's playing the movie and they're doing some ADR and they're trying to get screams out of each other and they're like pulling each other's hair and crap like that. But neither of them can scream for shit. He tells them to keep looking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's when he goes into yeah. his, his um, work area and starts trying to play through his tapes and there's that great scene mm. where it's just 360 degrees of yeah. the camera. It's set in the center of the room. It's just going around and around and around. And we're seeing Jack going from device to device, different reels, stringing you know, the film and listening to it. And you're not, you're not really knowing what's going on at first. Right. You don't really understand it. But then like, the secretary comes in. You hear his phone ring in. And she's like, will you answer your phone? It's the police calling for you. <laughs> and he's like, someone's erased all my fucking tapes. Yeah. Which is crazy because it's like even his uh, like library sounds and stuff. Yeah, like everything, everything in his yeah. room is gone. And that's when we get the cop on the other end of the line saying, what the fuck, you gave me a blank tape. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you put two to do two and two together with the... The box from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But you see what I mean? Nowadays, they would have had to show John Lithgow breaking into <laughs> his office, running the you know device along all the tapes... Which then, isn't that what the secretary says? She says someone came to see you. Yeah. But you were out. Right. And he's able to piece that together. So now the original tape really matters a lot. Mm-hmm. Because that's all that's left. Uh, and Jack's trying to leave, but he gets stopped by a reporter. Frank Donahue is his name. And he's such a good like TV personality. Oh, yeah. Voice. He, yeah. he looks like, <laughs> like a perfect casting. Uh, but he wants Jack, he's heard about him, he wants Jack to bring his tape on the air and tell the audience what he saw. Yeah, because he kind of he kind of seems like he goes in some of the same like circles of thought as Jack. Mm-hmm. And so he too was suspicious of this whole scenario. And when he heard about him, he was like, oh, I can kind of like yeah. bridge the gap for you on this. Yeah. yeah. I think he says like, what, I average 8 million viewers. And so that'll be 8 million people that'll believe your story right out of the gate. Right. And then they'll tell their friends and... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, we find out that uh, everything has been tapped with regards to Jack. Yeah, he goes back to his apartment. And yeah, we see uh, Burke listening in. He's tapped his line. But Burke did not know about the original tape that Mm -hmm. Jack had made, which is still in his ceiling. Yep. So Burke sets up a plan that he he knows they're going to take this footage to Donahue. And so he kind of like, well, he makes it where like Jack's phone can't take any calls. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. Jack's talking about how he needs to get the original the original tape. So mm-hmm. he needs, and he kind of confronts Sally about what she was yeah. doing, the whole honeypot scheme and all that stuff. And she's like, hey, don't judge me. You don't know me. <laughs> That's what I got to do. <laughs> Screw you. I need the money. Yeah. Um, 
But he's like, get the original mm-hmm. film from Carp. But yeah, and Burke's listening to the whole thing. So his plan is to try to intercept that. Yep. But before his plan goes live, this is where Sally goes to get that footage. Mm-hmm. Because this is an interesting scene, too, because when she comes in, Manny's wanting to skip town. Yep. Tries to get her to go along with him. And she's kind of trying to sweet talk him because she wants a chance to grab the tape. Uh-huh. And uh, he, he gets a little fresh with her. Yeah, he does yeah. not take no for an answer. <laughs> so she's got to upside him in the head with a, b- a bottle. Knocks him out. Uh, gets the original film. Mm-hmm. And skedaddles with it. Yep. And then this is where Burke's plan comes in because uh, Donahue's supposed to call Jack to set everything up for them to meet and bring the footage. And he makes it so that Jack can't get any calls. Yeah. And then meanwhile, he calls Sally and impersonates Donahue. Right. And it's like, well, you know, Jack's busy. You come with the tape. Mm -hmm. Meet me at the train station. Meet me at the train station. Uh, oh, there's also that really good scene where we see Lithgow in the booth again, oh, confessing yeah. to his crime yeah. to the police, and his face is just blank. But he's giving <laughs> this vocal performance of a guy who's like, you know, in turmoil, confessing that he killed a girl again and he can't stop. This was so giallo. Yeah, yeah, it he really was describing was. it and stuff. I was like, dude, great acting moment yes. too. Um, but Sally and Jack do link up again before all of this. Because he kind of realizes that something screwy is going yeah, on. Yeah, he said it doesn't make a lot of sense. He hasn't been getting any phone calls. What's going on? But okay, this guy wants to meet her. Fine. So she says, okay. He says, take the take the tape and everything, but I'm going to wire you mm-hmm. so I can hear what's going on because he's paranoid as fuck at this point and who can blame him? <laughs> yeah. He wants to make sure they're not getting dicked over. So going into this, it's Sally. She's wired up. She has the original video. And she has a copy of the audio because he still kept that original stashed audio tape. Right. Uh, so they're gearing up to do that. And then we get this extended sequence of Burke at the train station. Oh, God, this is amazing. <laughs> it's a great sequence, uh, but I also wonder if it should have been cut for pacing. It, it does not really add a lot. It doesn't add a lot. Other than just being fun for it, like it, genre fans. It also gives more of a insight into Burke's character because mm-hmm. we get another beautiful split diopter shot well Burke is sitting uh, they're like in the cafeteria area and he's sitting in this one area and then there's like a sailor a literal sailor mm-hmm. uh, talking to a sex worker and they're kind of talking in code about how much it's going to cost and that sort of thing and he's listening and you could see him like twitching mm-hmm. you know like he could barely contain himself when they start talking about sex and money and all that <laughs> which uh, is so funny because he's like oh I've got uh $20 for 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, 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 I need more like uh, $40 for... 40 minutes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they just go to a fucking phone booth. Yeah. And he's at the other end of the phone booth watching them. She's doing her thing. He gets off too quick. She gets mad, whatever. He, he only pays her half. I love it too, because when they're shouting at each other, he's like, I've been on a boat for months. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> but then Lithgow's like, Holding a $50 bill. I love how he does it because she hears like a tap and she looks up and then he's like several phone booths down Yeah, and he just has a 50 plastered up on the wall. And he looks like a businessman, like any 80s businessman. Yeah. You know, so she's like, okay, well, let me freshen up and then I'll come back here. So she goes to the bathroom and he follows her, this kind of whole stalking sequence. And I think this is the first time we get a really good shot of he has like the phone 
Or not the phone. God, the phone. He has the watch. Yeah. Watches were not phones back yeah. then. <laughs> so he's yeah, got, he's got the watch this watch. with the garrote wire. Yeah, and yeah. he like takes off like, it's just like the cap that goes around the edge of it. Mm-hmm. And then that's connected to a garrote wire that he can stretch out. Yeah. Classic. Really cool. And there's this cool shot where it's kind of up angled and she's like getting ready, like brushing her teeth and stuff. And he's like leaning over the top of the stall <laughs> yeah. waiting for her to get in position. But it's, I question this because he's about to get Sally, right? Yeah. He doesn't need to kill this woman. He's no. already established a pattern. Mm-hmm. He just wants to do it. He's just a fucking psycho. Yeah. Because I think it's one of those things like he always had the predilection for it. But now that he's actually killed people. Yeah. He, is, he has the excuse. Yeah. He, he believes in this righteous cause, I guess. So. Which is kind of like a trope of serial killers, really, when you think about it. Like, yeah. They kind of make their own reason to keep going step by step down that road. Sure. Like any addict, really. <laughs> oh, well said. Uh, so Jack and Sully arrive at the station. She's all wired up. And um, Burke's up at a window mm-hmm. watching them. Sees her come in. Uh, he goes to meet Sally and says, you know, hey, I'm Frank Donnie, blah, blah, blah. It's a good thing. Oh, and, you know, there was even a line earlier where Sally is like, I don't watch the news. You know, yeah. It's too depressing. So she, do- the news. she doesn't know Frank Donahue from anyone, anyone. Yeah. Uh, from Phil Donahue, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so he's like, I think we might be being followed. So let's walk a little bit and get away from all these people. That kind of thing. Let's go down on the subway. Mm-hmm. And Jack's listening and he's like, okay, this doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. So he runs in there and he's trying to find them. There's some great shots of him running oh, through the station, yeah. man. It's so just good. It's so seeking good. them. And you just get the audio in his headphones. Yeah, yeah he's got like the earpiece in, yeah. right? He's listening, but he doesn't know where they are. And he hears, they go through a turnstile. He's like, ah, okay, I know what that sound mm-hmm. is. So he knows where to go to keep following them. And then he gets another breadcrumb because I think it's Sally sees the sign of where they're going. Yeah. And she mentions it and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, that one. Yeah, but they're already in the car and it's taken off. Well, he tries to walk her to the edge of the terminal and kill her there. Yeah, but there's like a maintenance like a, crew out yeah, there. Yeah, maintenance guy like washing down. Yeah. Uh, part of the subway. So they're like, okay, we'll just get on the train. And Jack just misses it. Mm-hmm. But he knows where they're going. So he gets in his car and there's this fucking killer sequence <laughs> where he's just driving like an animal mm-hmm. to get there. And damn, this looks dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Some great overhead shots too. It's yeah. like beautiful. Back when it was hard to do those, uh-huh. you couldn't just get a fucking drone up there and do um, it. Because it cuts into what they've been setting up in the background of this Liberty Day parade. Mm-hmm. And that's going full force. And he is just like cutting through it and driving through the courtyard of yeah, buildings. and barricades and stuff and barely missing pedestrians. Gets the cops on his tail for a little bit, mm-hmm. loses them. But then he loses control of his car, smashes into a window, gets knocked unconscious. Yep. And then he's waking up. It's a little bit later, but night's already fallen. And he's like, oh, what the fuck? He still has his equipment on him. He has his transmitter. So he puts his, you know, um, earbud back in and starts listening. And uh, he can still hear Sally and Burke. He's lured her to kind of this, like, overlook. Yeah, yeah. And Burke gets the tape from her. Throws it in the water. Yeah, throws. He just like starts unspooling the tape and wraps it up. <laughs> and she's like, "What are you doing?" And he just tosses it in the water. And then she's like, "Oh shit!" So then she starts screaming and trying to run away from Burke. God, and this is so dramatic because the fireworks are going off. Yeah, fireworks start so going off. You've got off. Jack like pushing through the crowd, trying to find where they are. 
The fireworks are going off. Sally's struggling against Berg. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a fucking moment. And this is where they play that really haunting theme. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's a fucking here. moment, dude. Like, it gave me chills when yeah, I watched it. It's good stuff. And, and they're kind of up on this um, kind of a balcony-like area. Yeah. But not too far from the actual Liberty Bell. And he sees her at the edge. And she's like screaming and yelling. Mm-hmm. So, he, oh, and he starts rushing up there. Uh, he gets all the way up there. And he sees Burke from behind. And he's raising his ice pick. And Jack runs up, grabs him, and starts stabbing you know, <laughs> yeah. Burke's stomach. And that's where you get that um, he was in the Marines part. Yeah. Like he clearly knows yeah, he how knows. to handle himself right. in the fight. So Burke flops over dead. He looks to Sally, who is laying motionless on the ground. She's already dead. She's already been strangled and is dead. God, it's such a hard moment, man. Yeah. But like, goof. Yeah. And he's just like holding her, and we get another great, you know, upper angle shot kind of panning around them, and the fireworks is going off around them. And they finally ring the Liberty Bell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we get like a scene of. Jack listening to her last moments, basically. Mm-hmm. He's just sitting in the snow, on a bench in the snow. Yep. And then we're back in the editing room, and we're watching Coed Frenzy again, the shower scene. And, oh, there's a new scream. Yep. And it's a really good scream. It's Sally's scream. It's a very convincing scream. Yeah, and then the, the director's like, wow, that's a great scream. Where'd you get it? It's perfect. He's like, <laughs> rewind that. I want to hear it again. And he's just sitting there smoking. Yeah. And when he hears it the second time, he can't take it. And he yeah. kind of just covers his face. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's a good scream. That's a good scream. And then he hears it again. Yeah, just like plugs his ears. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the movie. <sighs> Damn, man. Like, <laughs> Jeez. Yep. <laughs> and De Palma thinks it's this ending that probably didn't do good business for the movie. But let's be honest. It's the right ending. For this it's film. the perfect. It's the only ending. It's the only ending. It's the Vertigo ending. Right. Yeah. Know? Which goes back to Hitchcock. Right. And it's one of those things, like, I think more than any other Brian De Palma film I've ever seen, this is the one where you want them to have the happy ending. Yeah. Because, like, Jack, just everything he's been through, everything Sally's been through, the fact that they're really just victims of consequence. Yeah, give them a break. You they, know? they didn't even do anything to, like, ask for this. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yep. And then, like, all the struggles they go through, and then in the end, they can't pull it out they, they, there's a part where they talk about running away together because he even says like let's try this with donahue and if it doesn't work i'll run away with you and yeah. we'll go wherever you want yeah and we can just be together and forget all about this right it doesn't matter and you want that for them and it's like it's never gonna happen nope she dies for trying to stick in with him and help it mm-hmm. and then without the original video footage that ruins yeah. any hope of ever exposing this yep or getting the truth out there so yeah burke's dead but everybody else gets away you know mm-hmm. The deed's still done. No one's brought to justice. And the only memory of Sally is this scream and a shitty-ass 1981 horror film. Yep. <laughs> Ooh. <sighs> Heavy stuff, man. But God, it's so good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, I'm sure we both have copious notes about this one. Yes. Do you want to um, share some first? I usually am the note guy. so. Yeah, I think the first thing to talk about is how it is directly based on Michelangelo Antonioni's 1966 movie, Blow Up. Yes. It's pretty much the same premise. It's just done mm -hmm. with photography instead of audio. Right. And De Palma's made no bones about this. Mm -hmm. And people often accuse De Palma of plagiarism. But what he always does, he takes something, like be it a Hitchcock movie or Mm -hmm. something, and 
and this is a dirty word now, I guess, but <laughs> kind of subverts your expectations on it or puts a twist on it. It's a different thing. He he like takes it and then synthesizes it to do something new, but still right. pay love to the original yeah. thing. It's, not, a, it's a true homage and not a ripoff. And not like a ha gotcha. Yeah. Right. Um, and interestingly, Blow Up stars David Hemmings, mm. who was in Deep Red. Oh. Which we should talk about Antonio sometime. He's like one of those great yeah. classics of the classics. I've never actually seen Blow Up. Mm. There, it's fun. Have you ever seen the Mel Brooks movie High Anxiety? Yes. Okay. There's that great <laughs> reference to Blow Up yes. where he has these pictures and each one's bigger and bigger and one's like... An entire wall. <laughs> and, and with that Antonioni film, I think of like, again, of like Giallo stuff too, because there's so many of those where like there's photographs and the pictures matter. Um, what was the delirium that we did way, mm-hmm. way, way, way a long time ago? Yeah. Before times. That was very like photo photography based. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else, what else you got. No, you, you do one. Okay. So let's see. We we covered this. Um, oh, I thought this was funny. the The first person they wanted for Jack was Al Pacino. I could see that he was unavailable. So especially that would have been what right after cruising or something. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about prime Pacino here. He would have been good in it. Yeah. But I mean, I love John Travolta. This might no, be my actually, favorite role. I don't has. want anyone else in this yeah. role but Travolta. Uh, but he was the number two, so that's that's where they went. Yeah, he had because uh, John had asked De Palma what he was working on, and he sent him the script, and and. The, and uh, Travolta was like, I want to do this. Yeah. Um, the studio, <laughs> when they knew they had John Travolta, said, well, obviously we need Olivia Newton-John. No, we don't. Sally. No, we don't. And Paul De Palma was like, no. Nothing against her, but no, we don't. I don't think she could do Sally the way the way that Nancy Allen did. I agree. I agree. Yeah, Allen does have this good quality where, I mean, she's a little, she comes across as a kind of an airhead. Not even an airhead. Just. Kind of naive. She feels like a real person and not like a Hollywood star. Right. Like Olivia Newton-John is like, oh, such a yeah. star kind of quality. Yeah. yeah. And I think Nancy Allen feels more like down to earth. Yeah. More like everyday more person. Yeah. I agree. And uh, yeah, he worked with a lot of the same people on this one as his previous movies. Let's see. We've got uh, Dennis Franz was in Dressed to Kill and The Fury. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lithgow was in Obsession. Which I have not seen Obsession. I like Obsession a lot. Yeah. That, that's very Hitchcocky. I need to watch that one. Um, and later he'd be in Raising Cain, mm-hmm. which also borrows a scene from a Argento film from Tenebrae. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. He used the same cinematographer, Vilmos Zygmond, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Good enough. From Obsession. Uh, editor Paul Hirsch, who did his early independent movies, Hi Mom. I worked on Sisters, kind of an underseen, good movie. Oh. Worked on Phantom of the Paradise, Obsession, Carrie, The Fury. Speaking of his early movies, we should talk about this. Yeah. Um, there's a shot in here where there's a movie being shown on TV. I think it's one of the scenes with Manny. Oh, yes. Um, he had wanted a particular film to show there. I think it was... Uh... It was an old Corman movie. Yep. Dementia 13. Dementia 13, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And they wanted too much money to put it in there. Yeah, because Corman. So they just needed some like <laughs> footage that they had access to for free that was a movie they could put in there. So they used Brian De Palma's original student film, Murder a la Mode. Yes, which is included on the Blu-ray. Yes. But I didn't have time to watch it. Did you watch it? So I like it, but it's it's real rough. It's gonna. I'm going to say it's like any other like director you love that has a student film that exists you can watch. Sure. It's very rough. It's got a lot of issues. There's compelling things about it. 
the funnest part about it is that you can see like the seeds. Um, like, you know, last time I talked about, you can see some of Sono student films mm -hmm. and like, even though they're so rough, you can see like the elements that go on to be in his later films. Yeah. It's the same way with the Palma. You see like sure. the, the voyeuristic elements, the like level of obsession, the kind of the Hitchcock echoes. Which is not honed yet. Right. 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 It's just all very yeah. like raw and raw. Oh, we should probably also note that Dementia 13, the movie he wanted to use was one of Francis Ford Coppola's first movie. Oh. And Coppola also had done The Conversation with Gene Hackman. Which is another reference piece for this film. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's all weaving together. Uh-huh. Uh, fun John Travolta trivia here. He apparently suffered from insomnia when they were making this film. And, That's all night um, shoots. The whole movie is almost all night yeah. shoots. Uh, but apparently uh, he's said that like the lack of sleep kind of helped him make the persona of Jack be what they wanted. I could see that. In a sense. That's why he seems so downtrodden and just like tired. Yeah, with kind everything. of exhausted and fed up. Because he's supposed to be this guy, like he's been through some shit. He doesn't really like where he is and he's just trying to get by. Yeah. Um, and De Palma cites his obsession with the JFK assassinations as yep. part of the inspiration for this. Um, but it also... And he kind of downplayed this at the time, I think, but it's inescapable that with the whole car going off the bridge into the water is a definite reference to the Chappaquiddick incident. Mm, yes. How much do you know about this? Not a lot until I saw it mentioned in reference to this film and started looking into it. So why don't you illuminate people a little bit? Okay. So mm, this happened in 1969 mm. when United States Senator Ted Kennedy Another uh, Kennedy, you mentioned that. Yeah. He was out driving with a uh, younger lady and uh, drove off a bridge mm. into the river. Wow, just like this movie, huh? Just like this movie. Huh. Uh, he managed to get out. The girl did not. <laughs> he goes back to his ultra-rich compound with all of his people. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't report it. Um... Didn't report it until cops started showing up because people found his car <laughs> and the body of the girl in the car. Uh, so he didn't say anything about it till 10 o'clock the following day. Wow. Plenty of time to sober up. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know what happened? Do tell. He had his um, license revoked for a couple of months. Oh, away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this piece of shit, Ted Kennedy, killed a woman and gets away with it. With it. Yeah. Completely gets away with it. Kind of the complete inversion of this film, though they do have in common that the bad guys get away with it in mm -hmm. the end. Yeah. And you know, this was made after the 70s, which is a really raucous time. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of conspiracies, a lot of you know, the whole Watergate thing. There was a lot of government corruption and all that shit going on. Which Watergate's and, definitely an influence on this too. Absolutely. But I mean, isn't it great that we now live in a time... When our representatives are trustworthy and aren't involved in any scandals whatsoever and don't get away with whatever they want. Isn't that amazing? You, you, when we leave this podcast, are you going back to a different universe? It's <laughs> not quite the, uh, the world that I know. I fucking wish. Sheesh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, all of that, like, I thought a lot about the JFK assassination watching this of like, you know, it's like it's fucking 2023 20, and we, we still don't really know. Right what the deal was with that. And we probably never will know, but whatever truth exists, it's probably like word of mouth. And as people get old and people die, sure. Like that, whatever truth existed there is like lost. Yeah. I don't so, know. Yeah. 
crazy. <sighs> um, well, Scott, you got anything else? Speaking of that car crash, mm-hmm. to do that shoot, make it go into the water and all of that, they had to build a 60-foot-long, 15-foot-tall dam to get the water level high enough so the car would go under it the way they wanted. Oh, cool. Uh, it took seven days to shoot that scene, and they had to have environmentalists on set to make sure that when they were done shooting and they tore everything down, the creek was restored to its natural state and they didn't harm the environment. That's good. So for, That was back when... So for all the Cavalier directors being out of control, yeah, <laughs> they at least were in check on this. Right, right, right. That was back when um, it was called conservation and like everybody <laughs> was for it. Yeah. But now when it's called environmentalism, yeah. people don't like it. <clears throat> Uh, let's see. We, we talked about her claustrophobia. Um, the actual underwater parts were filmed in a huge tank. Hmm. Pretty pretty typical, I would say, for sure. the time. Safe thing to do. Um, you might notice sometimes they don't really bring attention to it, but Sally's wearing a like lucky rabbit's foot all of the time in this oh, film. Yes. Uh, that was a decision that Nancy Allen made, and she said it reflected her idea of who Sally was as a character that she would probably be kind of superstitious about hmm. a lot of things. Didn't do her a lot of good. With did the it? life that she had. <laughs> um, the whole like backstory on Jack, this whole like we set up a wire ah, yes. and all that, yeah. um, and then he sweats and everything. That actually comes from an incident in a Robert Daly book, Prince of the City. Apparently, De Palma was interested in doing a film based on it, but mm. you could never get that off the ground. Right. So, kind of just as an homage to that novel, he worked that story in. That's a cool sequence. I like that. Uh, the big parade moment and the crazy like car driving scene. Mm-hmm. We talked about how awesome that was. So here's some stats on that. To make that scene, they used 11 cameras, a thousand extras, 25 stunt drivers, uh, vehicles on loan from the Philadelphia Fire and Police Departments, and they also used a special helicopter-mounted camera rig that was brought in from Norway just for the shoot. Awesome. That's 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 the eighteen million dollar budget right there. Yeah, I, I guess when they gave him that budget, he was like, "Fuck it, yeah, I'm gonna spend gonna it. it. Let's do it. Do it. Go big." Um, after they shot all of this stuff, when they're on the way to the airport, the driver of the van that had reels of footage of the parade sequence, uh, allegedly, he stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts, got out, went inside, left the van unattended. The van got stolen. <laughs> And the footage was never seen again. So there's actually more footage of this whole big parade scene. But they had to just like nix a lot of it and shoot some extra bits and use uh, 750000 more dollars to get it done. Wow. Big, big L on that guy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's what it is. Let's see. I already talked about Tarantino being in love with this. That's good. I mean, say uh, what you will about Tarantino. He does have good taste in movies. He does have good taste. Yes, he does. Oh, um, the shower scene at the beginning. <laughs> Our actress with the bad scream. But nice tits. <laughs> yes. Um, that's uh, Missy Cleveland. And she was Playmate of the Month in April 1979. Oh, in Playboy. Awesome. Yeah. She's very attractive. Uh, the original title of this film was Personal Effects. Ah, yes. That was what Brian De Palma wanted to call it. I think the studio suggested Blowout. That's a better title. It's a stronger yeah. title. I think so. Personal effects sounds like a romance drama or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But though I do get the idea behind it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, Burke. Talk about him as a character a little bit. 
his kind of design and mannerisms and stuff was modeled after G. Gordon Liddy, mm-hmm. the leader of the White House Plumbers that were central players. And you mentioned it earlier, the Watergate scandal. Yep. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 30th Street Station. That's the train station where Burke murders the hooker. Right. And they begin the whole like fake meeting with Sally. That is used also as a location in the murder scene from Witness in 1985. Oh, yeah. Another great little movie. Yeah. A lot of nice little connecting pieces in mm-hmm. here. Um, apparently, this uh, the whole like like using Sally's death scream in the film is kind of like a similar thing to this urban legend that's always existed about a song, um, Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I meant to pull the story sc- on this that. This supposed to be a scream that was an actual person either being murdered yeah, yeah, yeah. or dying in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's so many great urban legends about rock and roll and albums and stuff like that. That's one of them. <laughs> um, despite it doing poorly, it did review well. A lot of critics had very positive stuff to say about it. Um, As they should. And The New Yorker, Pauline Kael, gave the film one of her unconditional raves and just totally praised it start to finish. Um, Roger Ebert gave it four stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to say it is inhabited by a real cinematic intelligence. The audience isn't condescended to. We share the excitement of figuring out how things develop and unfold. Develop. Huh? When so often the movies only need us as a passive witness. And his buddy Siskel also recommended it and gave it his highest uh, praise. Nice. And they put it on a list of their buried treasures in one of the 1986 episodes of At the Movies. If we go modern times more, look at Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an 87% based on critical reviews. Pretty strong. Pretty strong. But yeah, the box office was the kind of nail in the coffin that just... Audiences were not destroyed it. in for a downer ending in the early 80s. Like movies like The Thing, mm-hmm. you know, just underperformed. And it's funny because like almost all of those have been critically reappraised. Yeah, right. Yeah. They get reevaluated and they're like, fuck, this is a classic. But people wanted feel good shit. I guess it was the whole post-disco, everyone's <laughs> still high on coke. Yeah. Reaganomics. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Reaganomics, man. <laughs> Um, so that, where, where were we today with this film? So right, Tarantino praises it. He's kind of elevated it some. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked about the Criterion release that happened in April 2011. That was kind of the big moment where really a lot of people were coming back to this and right. being like, "Oh no, this is like special." Yeah. Um, so in more current times, 2023, Time Magazine put Blowout as part of their 100 best movies in the past 10 decades. Wow. I mean, I agree with it, but I'm kind of surprised. And they kind of had a little capsule comment on each film. And mm-hmm. for this one, they said, a film filled with mistrust, one where the ghosts of the Chapitiquick and Zavruder films lurk in the corners. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. Whew. Well, I've seen this before, so I guess I should talk about it first. Please My, do. my reactions, yeah. evaluations, and such. I uh, think everyone knows where we're both going to fall on this yeah. one. Yeah. As I say, it's been a while since I've seen this, mm-hmm. and I'm not even sure where I first heard about it. I'm sure I had some obnoxious nerdy film book or something back in the day, and they talked about it. And I'm well, like, let me ask you this before we bleed our hearts on this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what's your favorite De Palma? I was going to ask you the same thing. Uh, okay. Well, let's do that real quick. All right. Uh, there's a lot to choose from. God, yes. I mean, he's made a lot of great fucking movies, and I hadn't even seen them all yet. There's some I need to go back and, and watch. Um. Dude, it's a hard choice. Uh, 
And of course, his earlier output is better than his latter stuff, but he still has some really good movies uh-huh. later on. Uh, as fun as Phantom of the Paradise is, I got to go with The Untouchables. Mm, okay. I fucking love cool. The Untouchables. It is I, a good one. Even as a teenager, I had a poster of it on my wall, <laughs> you know? Nice. Yeah. What about you? Um, so I'm kind of like you, a part of me wants to make it be Phantom of the Paradise mm-hmm. really bad, but I don't think I can. And this movie is a contender too. Um, after watching it, this one's definitely a contender, but I got to go with Dress to Kill. Nice. Yeah. I, God, I fucking love that movie. That's yeah. a good pick too. Yeah. When yeah. I started collecting Criterion, that was one of the first ones I bought. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's a great flick. It's Very Giallo-esque. All around classic. It's probably his most Giallo-esque mm-hmm. of them all. Cool. Now you may continue. All right. Um, well, back in the day when I saw it, I really loved it. It's the sort of thing I've told people to watch. And uh, here I am again today telling <laughs> more people to watch it. Uh, and it's held up great. It's, it's, I love movies like this. I miss movies like this. God, yeah. When I, when I talk about old movies and how much I love them <laughs> in like the eighties and seventies and stuff like that, this, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You just. <sighs> like what today and like the last year or two has come out that's been something like this. Yeah. Like, I mean, they just literally <laughs> do not make them like this anymore. And all of those shots of all the old equipment only, mm-hmm. only adds to it. And I'm not saying things are better because I'm not saying like right now older equipment is better mm-hmm. necessarily um, because it's amazing the things you could do now so cheaply. Oh, I mean, you can look at something like, what is it? That movie uh, Unsane. They shot that all on an iPhone yeah. and it looks great. Oh, uh, that uh, Garrett guy who invented the Steadicam, there's this cool little featurette on the Blu-ray with him mm. and he's showing the original Steadicam he made, which is this huge monstrous yeah thing but was a complete innovation and freed the cameraman and he talks about how he's showing examples of how they got smaller and smaller to where you had this little tiny iphone gimbal Mm. that does the same thing yeah and it's probably like a 100 bucks or if that yeah on amazon i mean if you have a current modern cell phone you can just go buy like a gimbal attachment yeah and get the same kind of shit now right um it's amazing uh but this movie is just it's just so well made. It's so crafted. You know, it, it, like the scene I keep talking about where they don't hit the audience over the head and they, you're mm-hmm. going to figure it out. It trusts you. Yeah. I just feel like movies today do not trust their audience. No. And a lot of that does have to do with being more international. They want to appeal to everyone. And, you know, people can't always read what's on the screen and stuff like that if it's playing in China or whatever. So sometimes you have to be a bit more uh, obvious. But... I mean, I just missed that type of movie. I, I missed that slow, deliberate, where every shot is planned and, and yeah. storyboarded and executed. And like, there's also a great interview with Noah uh, Baumbach talking to oh. De Palma on the Blu-ray. And De Palma's talking about how boring over-the-shoulder shots are, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he's always, you know, do a tour when you can, you know? Just have the people in the same space actually acting off each other mm-hmm. and we don't get that anymore. How often do you see that? It's always just you back know, and forth. Yeah. It's cuts. always, it's just the, yeah. it's just the boring cut back and forth with people over you the show. Shoot it with, need, neither person needs to be there. Cause you could just yeah. film it all separate. Right. Um, so dull. So it's kind of like this podcast. The reason we push to still do it in person. It's like, there's a different energy us sitting here together. Yeah. Right. Doing it. Exactly. Than when we're both on our computer. Right. And he even bemoaned the, 
what he calls basically a crutch. It's just boring. It's like the over the head, the over like the god shot. Where oh. You're following someone yeah. in a car going to the destination at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how boring is that? You know, we don't need that. Just start. Start where the movie starts, you know? <laughs> I'll allow one movie to do that, and that movie is Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows. I also thought you were going to see The Shining. When you're sweeping over the, the black woods and <laughs> it's a nice shot I, I, I like what I agree with what you're saying but, but yeah The Shining too I mean if, in, if, if any one movie needs it it's The Shining yes but of course every, every movie has it because now you have drones yeah it's so pe- easy people think it gives you production value or something you're like ooh look at those cool aerial shot when it means nothing now <laughs> you know do something new do something else um, anyway I digress uh, yeah, everything holds up in this movie. Travolta's performance is great. Like, if you think Travolta's just kind of a hacky has been, not in this movie. No, nah, he's he's got a lot of good solid stuff. There's a reason why Tarantino cast him in Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. you know, and revitalized his career. It's uh, it's almost like a Nick Cage situation, I think, where like the right director that knows how to right. direct him and yeah, wrangle him and wrangle him. frame it and stuff <laughs> and do everything, and then, and then when you've got the wrong person or he's just left to his own devices, yeah, kinda... right. But this movie has a great story, has a great ending, um, has a through line. You know, <laughs> it has it's 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 basically a screenwriting and filmmaking class. Mm-hmm. Is this movie, and I love it. Um, I'm just, I'm giving it five stars. Ooh. Ding, 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 yep, ding, ding, yep. ding, ding. I was I was gonna go with like four and a half, but then I'm like, <laughs> why? The only gripe I have, and I mentioned it, is that I'm not sure that extended sequence where he kills the sex worker in the tra- train station near the end mm-hmm. is needed. But I also like that look into Burke's character. Yeah. You know? So. It's also a fun scene. Right. And the movie isn't over long. It's not like you're bored by the end. It's, yeah. a, it's under two hours. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so anyway, that is my take. What do you think, well, sir? Well, well, well. Okay. Well, I guess the first thing I want to say is... Um, I just fucking love this film, like awesome. start to finish, man. Like awesome. God, it barely started, and I was like, "I'm already into this. It's so good." Right on. Um, I love the like sad and somber tone of it. Mm. The fact that like Jack's been through some shit, Sally's been through some shit. Uh, like I said, they're kind of victims of consequence to get wrapped up in all of this, and just no, that the the breakdown of their struggle and that it just everything conspires against them. And I loved all the jolly references and the, kind of the mood and the tone, especially the score. I think the score is just like banging in this yeah, film. Like good score. The again, like I said, the Lord of the Ground synthy pieces, but then we get the big sweeping moments when you really need them. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of that scene where Sally dies, the music like builds that so well, yeah. and, and you just feel it in your in your heart and your soul, man, when it happens. Um, I don't know that it was a connecting piece at all, but just, I just wanted to mention it. I get kind of like a Cronenbergy vibe when I watch this film. Hmm. Um, it kind of makes me think of it. You got that somber atmosphere, kind of like a dead zone yeah, going on. That pervading sense of dread. The pervading sense of dread <laughs> that you just know nothing's going to be right. Um, and you've got like the political conspiracy thriller angle that you get a little bit in dead zone, but then you kind of have going on in like video drone or scanners where there's like yeah. these big political movements going on that kind of dwarf the characters and they're swept up along and what's going on. People with a philosophy. Yes, as you might say. Uh, I love, again, like the pacing. It's it's so quick, but it hits every beat. You're not like, you're not missing anything. You're not knowing what's going on. Like I said, there's good economic storytelling where like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they'll just mention it in passing and or show, just don't tell. in the way you see Jack interact with someone. Like when he's talking to the police detective, 
you learn so much about his character and who he is and how even the other people in the world see him. Yeah. Uh, and they don't just have to sit there and be like, well, he was this really great Marine. And then right. he was a super yeah. skilled police officer yeah. that was renowned for exposing corruption and da, 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 da. Um, again, it's, it's like the, uh, the cocktail of Brian De Palma themes and tropes. And I love that that's in there that, um, it kind of explores, I think the power of guilt a little bit, like both Jack and Sally, their motivations kind of lean back yeah. on the guilt for what they've done. Uh, that he regrets that he like was so focused on exposing the truth and, and focused on that, that he maybe didn't cover every ground with that wiretap situation. He kind of blames himself for it. Right. Puts that on himself. I think that's also why he works where he does. Cause it's like, he doesn't want to let himself, like you said, he wants to be out of yeah. play kind of like, yeah. uh, like he feels like he doesn't, isn't allowed to like do anything meaningful now that mm-hmm. that happened. And then we see it more as the film goes, but then Sally gets into like, you know, I have exploited these people and it, and it was wrong of me to like do this whole blackmailing scheme. And, yeah. and maybe this one time I want to make it right and mm-hmm. actually let the truth shine through. And, and That's what you get to, for doing the right thing. Try to do the right thing. Yep. Nope. Um, you get, you know, the theme of voyeurism, mm-hmm. uh, much more in some of his other films, but here like Jack has that vibe, a little bit of a peeping Tom. Sure. Uh, where he's kind of poking his, his nose and, into everything. And the whole co-ed frenzy at the beginning is all about voyeurism. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the focus on like historical events, the, um, the thing with Ted Kennedy that you talked about, mm. JFK assassination, uh, references to uh, blow up and the conversation, the Watergate scandal, just like it's pulling on so many like big films and things that have happened in our history and our culture and synthesizing that in a neat way. Um, and, and again, like I said, the ending is perfect. It's so bleak, but it's, it's the ending that needed to have and it had to have. Yep. Um, and then maybe like, I kept thinking about how people say this is neo-noir and then maybe that is the noir angle coming in. Cause you do have, yeah, again, like the woman in trouble and you've got your, your person that's seeking the truth. And mm-hmm. then kind of the angle of that is in the end, like no one's for the better Yeah. by the time everything is said and done. An argument can be made. Um, so yeah, God, I, I fucking love it. Five stars. Woo! <laughs> there we go. All, we, all the love for this movie. I had a feeling this was a sure thing for you. I, I was like, I, I, uh, I said to myself, if he comes back and doesn't like this movie, <laughs> he is just fucking with me at this point. <laughs> Jason, I just thought it was it insisted upon itself. You know, just, there weren't enough frames in that magazine <laughs> to make the film he made, and it's just he's totally out of touch with reality, <laughs> shallow and pedantic. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you dug it. Um, I knew you would. I've been. I've had this one in my back pocket since we started the podcast. Oh, nice. I'm like, we're going to get to this one eventually. <laughs> I'm glad it was now. Awesome. Uh, and I'm going to say too, like if you've never seen this film and you're, you somehow have listened to us all the way to this point, like, somehow <laughs> you you need to, to see this movie. And I, yeah. I looked. I think it's on Hulu right now. I saw, and I think so. Yeah, maybe one or two other places. Like I, I'm going to say, it's worth your twenty dollars mm-hmm. if you live in the U.S. and you can get out to a Barnes and Noble. Or, or even their website, I think, or what Amazon's like price matching them right now too. So, mm-hmm. yep, worth owning if you're a collector. Absolutely worth seeing if you're any level of a film fan and you haven't seen it. Yep, absolutely, absolute double five star genre exposure <laughs> certified. Put that sticker on the next release. <laughs> awesome, that makes me happy. <sighs> yeah, and I was like just so fucking excited after I watched it because I was like, God, this is such a good movie. Awesome, cool, love it. But we've got one more to go. 
One more movie about making movies? Yes, because there's so many angles you can take on it, right? Like this one was all about sound design mm. and the way audio can interfere with things and matter. And we've done with the first one kind of more, I guess, of the like broad scope level of just how you make a movie. Sure. Yeah, maybe inspiration and subject matter. Yeah. And there's so many other ways we could go. We kind of just made a list of some prominent ones we thought would be fun and yeah. just narrowed that down. And it's a hard, hard list to choose from. Very hard. Had to let go of a lot of darlings, ones that we may do in the future when sure. another topic comes up or if we do this one again because, God, we could do three more and I oh, still yeah. wouldn't get them all out that Absolutely. I want to talk about. Um, but we're going to, we, we've been, you know, more modern. And then you took us back to the eighties. As we, I often do. As you often do. <laughs> and we've kind of been talking a lot about nineties horror lately. Mm-hmm. And we kind of decided between us here, just before we started recording yeah. that maybe before we close out the year, we should actually talk about a nineties horror film. And there's a few we could have picked, I believe, but well, we did have idle hands. That was a nineties horror film. Yeah. Right at the end, tell yeah, right. it. It definitely has some two thousandsness. Oh, it does to its style. Uh, so we're gonna go like smack dab to the middle here, ninety four, and talk about. And this is another departure from us too, because we're going with a franchise. We're gonna talk about Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yeah, we are. The uh, kind of final film of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Yeah, this is. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. So I will share this before we go to that episode in mm-hmm. existence. This is a film that I go back and forth on. Sometimes I watch it and I think it is brilliant and one of his best. And I love it. And then sometimes I watch it and I'm like, I would put this at like the near the bottom right. for the franchise. Right. Um, and just, yeah, every few years I feel like my feelings kind of flip flop mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can explore that when we discuss it. I'm, I'm very anxious to reevaluate it. Mm. Fun fact, this came out the year I graduated high school. Oh, Wow. Interesting. You know, I was in the theater for it too. I was there. <laughs> we'll get into all that and more, and I'm sure sharing a little bit of love for Wes Craven because I know we were both fond of him mm-hmm. and for the Elm Street franchise. Absolutely. Yeah, fun way to close out the year with a little, little, little uh, franchise horror, mm-hmm. little, little meta horror. Yeah. Excellent. Well, that brings us to the end of another fun episode. We're almost to the end of the year as well, which is fun. Who knows what other antics will ensue after that. (laughs) But for the time being, um, you can hit us up on Facebook. You can hit us up on X. You can hit us up on Instagram. You can email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. You can smash that like button and ring that bell. You can. We have a YouTube channel. We don't really fuss with it much. It's just the the copies of the episodes being dumped on there. But Mm -hmm. um, you too could experience that if you wished. You could. Who knows? Maybe someday, maybe someday you'll get some video content. Someday, one day, perhaps. <laughs> so as I do say, we really have faces made for podcasting. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, send us your movie recommendations. What If you were going to watch a movie about making movies, what's your one that's like, yes, this is the one mm-hmm. that should be watched? Yeah, what's your favorite Brian De Palma movie? Yeah. And if you West, don't have one, start watching them. And for next time, Wes Craven. Where are you at on that? I'm yeah. sure we're going to ask each other that next time, so I'm going to have to... I'll tell you right now, it's cursed, obviously. You know what? I'm going to say not as bad as people think on cursed. I hadn't seen it. (laughs) I saw the trailer and some scenes and I was like, this isn't for me. Okay. Sure. But maybe I should go back and watch it. That and see no evil. I never watched that one either. I never watched that one. That was the last one, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Fortunately. (sighs) Well, all that being said... (laughs) You have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. 
You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.